0: to my mommy's podcast
1: this episode is brought to you by genexa these are cleaner healthier medicines and homeopathics all organic and non-gmo extensively tested and with a special patented system that lets them take out the harmful additives one of my favorites is their saline spray and drops these are free of parabens and fillers that are in many saline sprays It's great for flushing away congestion and nasal symptoms from allergies and colds, and there's an infant and kid-safe version. I always travel with this and use it before and after getting on an airplane to help reduce the chances of getting sick by flushing out my nasal passages. You can shop this and their entire line of organic and non-GMO medicines by going to genexa.com forward slash wellness mama, and if you use the code wellness, you can save 20% off of your order. Again, that's genex a.com forward slash wellness mama, and make sure to use the code wellness all capital. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have known and loved since their very beginning. Thrive was founded with the mission of making real food available and affordable to everyone in the US and ending food deserts or areas like the one I used to live in where organic food was difficult or impossible to find locally at times. Here's a tip, check out the Thrive Market line of products. They have really high quality products at a lower price than most other brands. For instance, I order their canned sardines by the case as they are the cheapest and best option I found They're a great protein source and I use these in things like sardine and tuna salad or I just eat them alone with some mustard. I also turn to their products for bulk items like gluten-free flours, baking ingredients, nuts, raisins, and pretty much all of my other pantry staples. Just for being a Wellness Mama podcast listener, you can get 25% off your first purchase at Thrive plus a 30-day free membership by going to thrivemarket.com Forward slash Katie, that's t h r i v e m a r k e t dot com forward slash k a t i e. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today and to share with you one of my dear personal friends, who is also one of the smartest and kindest people I know. Jim Quick is a widely recognized expert in speed reading, memory improvement, brain performance, and accelerated learning, and he teaches techniques you will not learn in school. I've taken some of his courses, and they are fascinating and so much fun, and for over two decades, he has served as a brain coach to people all over the world, but the reason I am so excited to talk to him with you guys here today is his own life and his own experience. So after a childhood brain injury left him learning challenged, he created strategies to dramatically enhance his mental performance. And he has since dedicated his life to helping others unleash their true genius and brain power and learn anything faster and to live a life of greater power, productivity, and purpose. And I know that Jim and I share a passion, especially for helping children. And I know that this episode is going to be helpful to all of us as adults, but also in being able to teach our children effectively to learn and to love learning. So Jim, welcome and thanks for being here here.
0: Katie, this is a real pleasure. I've been looking forward to this so much. And thank you, everyone who's who's joining us for this conversation.
1: I have been looking forward to this as well. And as we get started, I have to brag on you a little bit because my when I first met you, my memory of meeting you is so vivid because I saw you memorize on the spot a series, if I'm remembering correctly, 80 numbers and then recite them back, forwards and backwards. And I think that's an amazing feat, obviously in its own right, but even more so once I heard your personal story. So I'd love to start there because I think there's incredible power in a story, and I think yours illustrates that it's so possible to overcome things that seem very difficult or insurmountable in life. So can you tell us how you became a memory expert and Kind of delve into, were you born with this perfect brain or how did you get there?
0: Well, um, the uh, it's it's interesting when people see me do those demonstrations, whether it's memorizing all those numbers or long lists of words or, uh, you know, a hundred people I have stand up in an audience and memorize their names. And uh, I always tell people afterwards, I don't do this to impress you. I really do this to express to you what's really possible. Because the truth is every single person who's listening to this could do that and a whole lot more meaning you could do it, your spouse could do it, your team could do it, your children could do it. It's just we weren't taught. If anything, I feel like we were taught somehow unconsciously or we were taught some kind of lie that somehow that our intelligence, our potential, our learning ability, our memory is somehow fixed like our shoe size. And you know this, Katie, that we've discovered more about the human brain more in the past maybe 10 years than the previous 1,000 years And what we found is that we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities. And I know that because my inspiration really was my desperation. I, as you mentioned, I grew up with learning challenges. I was put in special classes. And one of the inflection points was when I was five years old, I had a a bad accident, head trauma and brain injury. And so I had these learning difficulties. And so how did it manifest? It manifested where teachers would have to repeat themselves three or four times in order for me to understand things. And often I didn't really understand. I would pretend I understood. I had very bad focus. I had um, a very poor memory. It actually took me an extra three, almost four years longer to learn how to read. And um, that was a very difficult time. And at the age of nine, I remember a teacher pointing to me Uh, talking to another adult, thinking I wasn't paying attention, saying that's the boy with the broken brain. And uh, it's interesting because parents and adults have to be very careful with their external words because your external words become a child's internal words. And that became my inner self-talk. I remember every single time that I would do badly on a test or a quiz or a report or not pick for the soccer team I, I would always say, Oh, it's because I have the broken brain. And um you have to be very careful because your your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. And often people are always saying, Oh, I'm so forgetful, or I'm getting older, or whatever. And I tell people, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. Right? If you argue for your limits, they're yours. And so the you know, Dr. Daniel Eamon, who I know you know, is um he refers to them as ants, automatic negative thoughts. And you have to you have to squelch those ants. And so I grew up with these difficulties all through school, um, whether it was through elementary school and middle school, junior high, and high school. And um, you know, I talk about superpowers a lot because I actually taught myself how to read by reading comic books late at night when my parents thought I was sleeping, and I like the metaphor of a superhero. I find that like for i feel like you're a superhero <laughs> every time i see you i feel like you, you're wearing this this cape because a superhero is for me is somebody who's discovered and developed their superpowers and i don't mean somebody who could fly across buildings and shoot lasers out of their eyes i mean they found their unique talent their unique ability their strengths and but just having a super power doesn't make you a superhero you have to use it like you have to um to make the world a better place And, but when we're talking about superpowers, I think growing up, my superpower growing up was being invisible, you know, being, when you feel like you're broken, you don't really feel like connecting to people. You don't feel like you have a lot to offer. So I became painfully shy. Like I would, I remember one time I was doing a book report, uh, the teacher gave, um, called my parents in for a special meeting, um, because I was not doing well in school and for English. And, um, Gave me a second chance that i could do a book report on on uh, and get some extra credit and so i did one on um einstein and da vinci and uh but i remember i spent two months working on this and i was so proud um i i had it professionally bound and it was like the the most i've ever put into a project Um, and but the day i had to turn it in i remember the teacher um, at the end of class saying we have a surprise for everybody you know jim uh come to the front of the class and tell us about your book report and i was frozen because i was not just introverted but again i was painfully shy and i was phobic of public speaking and um, i was so scared uh, and i put my wor- my whole life into like felt like my whole life into this 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 book report and i um I, I lied i said i didn't do it and um i took a failing i took a zero and um i remember being the last one in that class when it let out and I ended up throwing it in the, in the garbage. And when I did that, I felt like I was also throwing out a part of my potential or my dreams. And, um, anyway, so that, that, that was me in school in, in a nutshell, but at the age of 18 I was lucky enough to get into a uh, university and I, uh, I wanted to make a fresh start and I actually did worse. You know, I was so determined to show myself and make you know, make my parents proud Um, show the world that I could do something and I could amount to something. But I actually, college was so much more difficult and I was ready to quit. And when I um, was telling a friend of mine that, he was like, hey, why don't you come home with me this weekend? I'm going to visit my family and get some perspective. And I find that when it comes to learning and it comes to your life, perspective is so important. You know, a change of place or a change of people, your change of environment really helps you to have a new um new ideas and, and a, more of a fresh uh, take on things. And I, I went there and the family was pretty well off. And I remember the father was walking me around his property right before dinner and asked me a very innocent question. as Jim, how school, which pretty much Katie is the worst question you could ask me at the time. And I just break down and I just tell him my whole story about school and my, and the broken brain and how i just wasn't, wasn't smart enough. And um, he says, Jim, why are you in school? And it's kind of interesting when it comes to our potential and learning faster that questions I find really are the answer that I've never asked myself that question before. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, why are you in school? What do you want to be, do, have, share? And I go to answer him and he pauses. He says, stop. And he takes out a journal out of his back pocket. And I notice another quality of just successful individuals is they they keep diaries or they keep um, a place where they have their their notes and they reflect on things and He makes me write it down. He tears out a couple of sheets of paper and it became like a bucket list You know all the things that I wanted to be do have and share um, in my life And when I was done I take the piece of the paper to fold it up to put in my pocket and he takes it right out of my hands and it really freaks me out because I wasn't expecting him to see what I was writing down. I mean, these are my intimate thoughts and my, my goals, my dreams. And he starts reading them. And I don't know how much time goes by, but he looks at me, he says, Jim, you are this close to everything on this list. And he spreads his index fingers about maybe 10 inches. And I'm thinking, there's no way. you know, Give me 10 lifetimes and I'm not gonna crack this list. And he's, he takes his fingers and he puts them to the side of my head. Uh, meaning that what was in between, which was my, my brain, if you will, was really the key. And he takes me into a room of his home that I've never seen before. It was, you'd love it. It was wall to wall, ceiling, to floor covered in books. I mean, can you imagine? I've never been in like a library in somebody's house before, and remember i'm phobic of of books i've never read a book cover to cover i'm a very poor reader and it's like walking to a room of of snakes right but what makes it worse is he starts grabbing snakes off the shelf and hands them to me and i started looking at the the titles and there were these biographies of some incredible men and women in history and also some very early personal growth books I mean, Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking, you know, Napoleon Hill, Dale Carnegie, you know, all these classics. And he says, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't. And I'm fighting for my limitations again. And I tell him I can't do that. I, You heard my story and, and I have all this schoolwork. And he looks at me and says, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education, And this was over 25 years ago. I didn't realize it was a Mark Twain quote. I was like, that's really powerful. And yet I can't commit to doing that um, because it's not possible. And then he reaches into his pocket and he takes out my bucket list, which he still has. And he has the audacity to read every single one of my dreams out loud. And I don't know if you can imagine, you know, I'm 18 years old, very insecure. And this person who's obviously, you know, pretty successful, To hear your dreams and another person's voice being said and and incanted out in the universe really messed with my mind, my heart, my soul, something really fierce. And honestly, Katie, a lot of things on that list were things I wanted to do for my family, things that they can never afford or um, would never do for themselves. And uh, with that motivation, and I think motivation is another, you know, we're talking about a lot of key concepts we could go to, into in this conversation perspective, the power of questions, the power of writing things down. But motivation really is key. Um, you know, a lot of us know what to do. We know we should meditate. We know we should eat right. We know we should move. We know we should um do deep breathing and journaling and all these things, but we don't do always do what we know. And what it comes down to a lot of motivation, which, you know, whether you're a teacher, you're a parent, working with kids is really understanding what what gets them to do things, right? Because common sense is not always common practice. And so with this leverage of wanting to help my family, I agree to read one book a week. So fast forward, um, at, I'm in school and I'm sitting at my desk and I have a pile of books that I have to read for midterms. But then I also have a pile of new books that I promise to read for my own personal growth. And I can't I couldn't even keep up with one of those piles. So where do I get the time? I don't eat. I don't sleep. I don't spend time with friends. I don't. Work out. I don't do anything that's really good for me, you know, in terms of self care. And I just live in the library and I'm there for like weeks and weeks, pulling all these all nighters and skipping meals. And, you know, it's not very sustainable. And I end up passing out one night. And I remember I fell down a flight of stairs in the library. I, I hit my head again. And I woke up two days later in the hospital. And at this point, I've lost all this weight because I wasn't eating, and I was down to 117 pounds. I woke up hooked up to all these IVs, and you know, I was malnourished, dehydrated, and I thought there has to be a better way. And it was the darkest time in my life. Um, you know, I've never experienced so much depression, so much despair, and I thought there has to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug of tea. And on it was a picture of Albert Einstein. Now it's so interesting because that was my book report, right? Like, and, and there was these words on the mug of tea that, um, it was a quote that we've all heard before in some different form, in some iteration. It said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of thinking that's created the problem won't solve it. And I was thinking, what's my problem? I asked a new, going back to the power of questions. And, thought, wow, I'm a really slow learner. And I was like, well, how do I think differently about this problem? Well, so maybe I can learn how to learn faster, right? And maybe I can learn how to learn. And I, when I had that new idea, I was like, okay, well, where do I learn how to learn? And I was like, well, where do I learn anything in school? So I asked the nurse to bring me a course bulletin with the courses for next semester. And uh, when I get it, I look through all the pages and I look at all these different classes that I could take and all the classes were our classes on what to learn you know important subjects like math history science spanish but there were zero classes on how to learn for example how to think how to solve problems how to focus and concentrate how to listen better how to read faster how to remember more i always thought it should have been the fourth r in school you, you know you have reading writing arithmetic but what about retention What about recall? What about, what about remembering, right? Socrates says learning is remembering because why study if you can recall this information, right? And so I put my studies aside in school and I start focusing on this thing called meta learning. I wanted to solve this riddle, this puzzle, if you will, that, you know, I wanted to solve this puzzle thing, like um, how does my brain work so I could work my brain? How does my memory work so I could work my memory? And I started studying adult learning theory. I started studying multiple intelligence theory. I started studying speed reading and mnemonics and all these different things a little about brain science and after about 60 days of intensive study a light switch went on and for the first time in my life i started to understand things for the first time in my life i started to have better focus for the first time in my life i started to retain information from my textbooks and my grades went up but not only my grades but it's just as my grades improved my life really improved and that's when I realized that it's possible to work smarter and not just harder. And what put me on this path is I actually got really angry. I got really upset that these skills and these abilities, what I thought was fixed, what like your IQ or your intelligence wasn't. And I was thinking, why wasn't this taught to me in school? Simple techniques or tools, resources on how I could just Learn level up my learning and level up my life. And so I started to be more of an evangelist I started to help my friends. I started to tutor and one of my very first students. She's a, she was a freshman in college She read get this Kitty. She read 30 books in 30 days I mean, can you imagine like going online and picking up 30 books on anything mandarin and marketing music, you know martial art whatever And she read it, not skimmed it, but really retained it and was applying it. And I wanted to find out not how, because I know how she did it. I wanted to know, going back to motivation, I wanted to know the power of why. And I found out that by asking her that her mother was dying of terminal cancer, Uh, doctors gave her only two months to live. So the books she was reading were books to on health and wellness, alternative medicine, energy, a lot of the things that you could blog about because she was determined to save her mom's life. And I found out, I get a call from her six months later and she's crying and crying and crying and I find out their tears of joy that her mother not only survived but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why. They called it a miracle, but her mother attributed a 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter who learned it from all these books. And that's in that moment, I realized that if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower, that if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. And it's a superpower available for all of us, for us, for our children, you know, for our teams. And, um and, and I think it's so important that people learn how to learn. So I've dedicated the past quarter of a century and more just to help people build better, brighter brains with easy, easy tools, easy techniques that we should have learned back in school. And uh, my mission really is no brain left behind.
1: I love so much of what you just said. And it reminds me too of my own childhood. And it actually like triggered some pain points for me in a good way in that I think so often – And this is part of life. So often those struggles end up becoming, like you said, our superpower because you said you were the boy with the broken brain and I was the girl with the broken body. So I had strep throat pretty much constantly. The first five years of my life, I had dozens of rounds of antibiotics, eventually had surgery that took out my tonsils and my adenoids and got tubes. And I was in somewhat good health after that, other than that I had had so many rounds of antibiotics, which now I can look back and see the early roots of autoimmune disease Um, and I had that mindset for so long that my brain or my body was broken and it didn't work right. And it wasn't ever going to do what it was supposed to do. And that's something that even as an adult, I've had to really like consciously learn to let go of. And it really came up for me, um, in becoming a mother and during pregnancy and even in my first delivery with my first son, um, fighting that mindset that my body was broken and it wasn't going to do it right. And I wasn't going to be able to have a baby and just how deeply those childhood experiences can affect us for our whole life. But I also love that, and I know this is a core tenet for you and a core part of your life, that you really equate success and superpowers, like you said, not to money or achievement, but to helping others and changing the world. And I think that's why I was so drawn to your approach and why I love the work that you do. Um, and so I'd love to go a little deeper on the concepts you talked about, because I know there's a lot of parents listening. And I know that many of them have heard from teachers or from school professionals that their kids are maybe not good learners in certain ways or that they don't have enough focus or they're not, they're not good at certain subjects. And I feel like the school system in general, it tends to grade our deficiencies, not what we're good at. Like you, they count off points for mistakes, but you don't, um, you know, you don't get points for being creative or for, or for thinking outside the box or for having a unique genius that maybe doesn't show up on a test. Um, So I would love to hear you speak to that a little bit, like to these parents who think that maybe their kids don't quite have what it takes or like maybe their child is like you were as a kid and and how they can approach that differently. So that because as parents, none of us want to pass on obviously anything negative to our kids. And um, I'd I'd love to hear your take on that from having seen that as a child yourself.
0: Absolutely. And I honor what you were saying, because it's so interesting that through your struggles, you've gained so much strength and, and be able to share that. Again, when we're talking about superpowers and superheroes with so many millions of people. And so I would say that for the parents listening or anyone who has a relationship with, with a child, that there's a few ideas that I think we understand is common sense, but how do we put it into common practice? So like I would say, for example, when we're talking about intelligence, I don't believe that like you, um, I believe that intelligence and potential is not fixed, that it's fluid. One of the, you know, one of the, my favorite books is mindset, you know, all, all about, you know, by, uh, Carol Dweck, um, which, which I know you're familiar with and that there's a difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And one of the services we do sometimes with children is we reward, um, you know an identity around them being a, a, you know gifted or 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 you know somehow a genius but what really we need to be reinforcing is their their work ethic right they're developing their grit and you know believing that having to work hard sometimes when people have a fixed mindset You know, they're concerned about more about looking smart, um, like children looking smart um, and they regard less for learning and it's more that they something they either have or they don't have and so negative views you know towards effort or believing they have to work hard at something was a sign of more lower status or lower ability and the thought that a person with talent or intelligence did not need to work as hard and we know that, that it's not true that we should be rewarding people for uh, children and others you know in our in our care whether we're leading them in a business or any otherwise proper praise is how do we transmit that growth mindset to to children and we know that one way is, is really reinforcing and telling stories around achievements that came from, from hard work, that somebody is not just a genius at music or a genius at math, but it's these people, you know, fell in love with these subjects and they they practiced every single day that it's possible that you can actually grow your brain, that IQ a standardized tests you think about school like even sats when i took them i remember taking the sats and it was like verbal and mathematical but we know through all the research that there's not just two forms of intelligence and it's not only not only is it not fixed that it's it's not the way we're rating it with individuals it's it's not fine meaning it's not narrow but it's far far reaching and so it's you know for example it's somebody could hit great verbal and math, but if they don't do well on those tests, they feel like they're not, they don't have something to offer or they're not smart. But what about people who have great visual, spatial intelligence, right? And you're talking about like the graphic artists and the architects. What about people who have um, children who have great interpersonal skills, meaning that they're great with people? I mean, that's such an important, that EQ, if you will, is so important in today's society. Well, maybe it's not interpersonal, self to others. Maybe self to self, like intrapersonal intelligence. People who really understand human psychology. What about people who are are great with music? You know, musical intelligence. Um, you have the the all the entertainers and the, and the singers, the composers. What about kinesthetic intelligence? People who have children who are great. Um, Or adults, great with their body. You have your athletes, you have your dancers um, in so many different forms of this of these intelligence. But I find and Howard Gardner is really credited um, out of Harvard University is really um, expanding this this. Uh, multiple intelligence theory. And so I would say that talking to parents, that intelligence is not fixed. It's fluid. It, it could grow and you want to reinforce that with your children, hard work. Um, also that it's not just intelligence is not just fixed, um, but it's also not um, it's not fixed. It's also not fine or narrow. It's far reaching. And that it's it there's a huge spectrum of genius, if you will, that it's not how smart somebody is not how smart you are it's not how smart your children are but it's it's another question it's not how smart they are it's how are they smart and so we all have this this genius um that we want to with children, you know, you give them a broad experience uh, base, and then you can see where their interests go naturally, and then you help them to be able to develop them. Um, and the third thing I would say, besides intelligence is not fixed, and that it's also a second thing that is far-reaching, I would say a third thing is that there's no such thing as a good or bad student. There's no such thing as a good or bad student any more than there is a, such thing as a good or bad memory. There's just a trained student and an untrained student. And just like with a memory, there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's just a trained memory and an untrained memory. And what I would say is something practical when you're working with yourself or your team or your family is to take nouns and turn them into verbs. What do I mean by that? I often hear people on social media. They'll message me and saying, oh, I, Jim, I... I don't have a good memory or, or my children don't have focus or I don't have motivation or my my you know my child doesn't um have creativity. These aren't things you have like nouns. You don't have focus, you do focus. You don't have concentration, you do concentration. You don't have energy you do energy you don't have creativity you do creativity just like you don't have a memory you actually do a memory and the benefit of turning into a verb is it becomes an action it becomes a process and so in our podcast for instance you know every week we give tips on how to remember names how to read faster how to be an effective listener how to take notes it's always focusing on the how because it becomes like a recipe like if you wanted to bake a cake you know, gluten-free, (laughs) sugar-free, organic, natural cake, you know, there's, there's steps and you have to do those steps in orders. Well, there's steps on how to learn a language, how to read a textbook, how to change your habits. But these things are often, you know, people feel like they have habits, you know, or they, they have intelligence, but I feel like that when we make it active, it's something that we could, um, act on, and we can be responsible or able to respond for it. And really that's the, the focus of my work, is to show people the tools, the tactics, um, and the actions that they could take, little simple things like their daily routines, or how they approach studying, or the environment, or the foods that they eat, to really optimize their greatest asset, you know, and their children's greatest asset, which is found between their ears which is their brain. Because right now, children, yourself, um, it's kind of fat and We live in this very fast-paced world where really we, we have autonomous electric cars and spaceships that are being built to go to Mars. But when it comes to learning, our vehicle of choice for education is like a horse and buggy. And I, I don't mean that as a slight against teachers you know my mother became a special education teacher because she didn't know how to help me with all my struggles growing up as a child but it's more of a system issue they say if rip van winkle you know he's the guy that slept for decades if he woke up today the only thing he would recognize are our schools and it's it's really a systemic issue because our world has has evolved so quickly. We live in this digital age where you have these digital supervillains like digital overload and digital distraction. A new term called digital dementia, where we're losing—we're so absent-minded right now because our mind is like a muscle; it grows stronger with use. But we're so dependent on our smart devices so we can't even remember a simple phone number anymore. You know, I mean, you remember growing up, you and I—we used to know like how many phone numbers, like all these phone numbers. But how do we? How many phone numbers do we remember now? right? Maybe one or two or three. And it's not that I want to memorize hundreds of phone numbers, but we've lost the ability just to remember one or a simple passcode or a simple conversation we had with somebody or the, the, the number, you know, the room, our room number uh, or something, you know, someone we just met. And I think memory lapses for your children, for yourself, two of the most costly words are, I forgot. You know, I forgot to do it. I forgot to bring it. I forgot that meeting. I forgot that conversation. I forgot that name. And so, you know, we live in this digital world, but we had, if you're struggling right now or your kids are struggling, it's not your fault. It's just we weren't prepared. You know, they say that the average graduate right now, you know, somebody graduating school is going to have anywhere from eight to 14 different careers I read recently. I mean, that's crazy. It's not not different jobs, different careers because the world is changing so rapidly. And in a world of rapid change, the most important skill to have, in my opinion, is your ability to learn just as fast. It's just we weren't taught how to do that. And so my message to everyone who's listening is that your, your children, your, your intelligence is not fixed. It's fluid. That, you know, it, that standardized tests do a suboptimal job of, of, your IQ saying it's fixed from the age of five or six to whatever. That's not true because we know that it could grow because I could teach anybody listening to this on how to do better on, uh, on that because they're just strategies. And then I would also say there's no such thing as a good or bad student or good or bad memory or good or bad focus. There's just a trained student and an untrained student. It's just, we weren't taught how to how to do these things. So one of the ways of overcoming is to take these nouns and turn them into verbs, and it gives you the power to be able to affect positive change.
1: I think that's such a brilliant tip, and I hear you say that about trained students and untrained students. And I look back and realize um, I was such a good trained student. That was my forte. I could do school. I could do test. I ac- the ACT and the SAT. And it turns out that's actually like a completely worthless life skill, and that doing really well on those tests doesn't serve anyone else. It doesn't help you necessarily in life. It's a metric and it's I basically learned how to take tests well. And that's one of my frustrations now as a parent and as a homeschooling mom is that I feel like we are. We're in an education system that was designed for a different age, but yet our children are the ones who are suffering with this because we're not giving them the tools they're going to need. Like you said, they're going to have multiple careers. And on top of that, we need children and who become adults who can think outside the box and connect the dots and solve some really big problems because our kids are going to face some doozies as adults. So I'm curious if you have um, any tips. Let's see how I can phrase this question. Maybe two part. Um, First of all, how do we maintain that love of learning in our children um, and kind of teach them from an early age what you learned older in life to love learning and, and to be able to learn quickly, but also for those of us who homeschool, is there a way that we can adapt even how we're teaching to really cater to that more easily? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I know you and I could geek out about this for for hours. <laughs> in, in terms of people stepping into the best version of themselves, um, and so let's let's deconstruct this a, a little bit. I would say that I honor what you're saying about. About kids, you know, in this world, and and not being prepared, and not teaching them how to be creative or to solve problems. Um, right now, just a sign of the times. Everything right now, you know, in terms of jobs, is moving in a certain direction. They they call them the three A's. A is uh, artificial intelligence. So more more jobs are being taken by computers that could do a similar job through artificial intelligence. Also, the second A is automation, right? Because uh, assembly line, just like we had assembly line education, we have everything being automated online also for people and that's taking away careers and opportunities. Um, the third A um, is is Asia, which really says, signifies that things are being outsourced overseas. Um, and so these jobs are available overseas for a, a fraction of the of the, of the cost. So what can not be outsourced to a computer? Well, I would say three of the superpowers you really want to encourage with kids are creativity, right? The, the idea that your ability to transcend traditional ideas and rules and patterns and relationships or the like to be able to create meaningful new ideas, forms, interpretations, methods, uh, because the computer's not gonna be able to do that anytime soon. The second superpower I would say to encourage with children is this superpower of imagination. We do an annual event um, for, it's really interesting where our, our audience is as almost as, as interesting, as, as interesting as the people who are on stage, we have like the founder of WordPress. And I remember we had Quincy Jones in our last, uh, you know, sitting in the audience, we had, um, we had Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, who wrote the four agreements, one of my very, very favorite, favorite books of all time. And I remember pulling, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz on, um, on stage. And I said, um, You know what's your superpower and he looked at the audience and he says my superpower is like everybody's superpower here It's the superpower of imagination Because really, knowledge is what is, but imagination is what could be. You know, this ability to form mental images and concepts that's not actually present in our senses, I would say that ability to take the invisible of of what's in a child's mind or an inventor's mind or an author's mind and make it visible, is really leadership is taking the invisible and making it visible. And so creativity, imagination, and I would say a third area to really to focus on with children to really prepare them to live their best life is yes, you want them to be creative. Yes. You want them to, to harness their imagination, which is like a muscle um, and their strategies for all these is really that third thing I just said is strategy, you know, a plan, a plan for success. I believe that when you see somebody successful, that genius leaves clues, meaning that if somebody is successful in music, or in art, or in some physical form, or they're a great accountant, or they have great relationships, or they're great with finances, then they're doing certain things, that there's always a method behind the magic. When people see me on stage memorize names, or, or the words, or numbers, or you know they know I read a book a day, or, or whatever, I always tell people genius is is learned it completely is there's always a method behind the magic when you see somebody pick up a musical instrument faster or you see a child be able to focus they're doing certain things that other people aren't and it looks like magic it's just we weren't taught how to do that and so i would say those are three superpowers in terms of children falling in love one of with learning um it's so interesting children i'm very concerned with the world we live in i have a, a video just came out Just like a month ago and it has over we have over 31 million views and it's just me um, and my friend Simon Sinek talking about the dangers of some of the social media um, where social uh, media depression and distraction and these things, these forces, these supervillains. We're talking about superheroes and superpowers, but these are the supervillains that are holding us back in a lot of ways you know, being reactive, picking up our phone the first thing in the morning when we really should be focused instead of reacting to the world and fighting fires, we should be creating a vision for our life. And these dopamine hits that we get, you know, out with every like and comment and share and cat video that we watch, you know, it's training us, it's rewiring our brain for distraction. And so I would say, with children, one of the important things is if you want to boost their self esteem, teach them about their own brains. I mean, you can improve their self-esteem overnight, just understanding how their brain works, because it's, it's like the most magnificent device on the planet, you know, in, in the whole universe, right? But it, it's not user-friendly. It doesn't come with an owner's manual. And so that's why we do these videos and we do our podcast, because we want to educate people about how they work so they could have that that confidence and that self-esteem but the other thing i would say is help people fall in love with learning is to make it is to bring joy and fun into you know back into education and i i know i know this is this is a priority for you and it's the focus with you when when you're working with your your children it's i feel like that you know and i know you do a lot of the wellness you talk about is about um optimal health and, and anti-aging and even as you as you know i i because i i follow your work so much I have like my biome test here um, I have on my desk my my Nano and everything I, I use all these resources um, and those are those are so important and I would say is people think for example children are the fastest learners on the planet which they which they, they are right they can pick up a musical instrument they can pick up languages faster um, and one of the reasons why is they play but when I say this to audiences they often say oh no I, I stopped playing because I grew older But I don't actually think that's accurate. I don't think you stop playing because you grew older. I think it's the opposite. I think you grew older because you stopped playing. And I feel like that some at some point in our life, maybe when... As children, it was like, oh, I want to go out and play, or I'm going to hang, you know, or they ask their friends, like, hey, do you want to go out and play? But later on, it's like, oh, do you want to go hang out? And we start changing that language. But I feel like when we're playing in that natural state, when we have that sense of wonder, um, and when do we ever feel those, things, those feelings? I, I believe all learning is state dependent all learning is state-dependent, that if you want to know one of the keys to having a long-term memory, information itself is very boring, it's forgettable, but information tied to emotion becomes a long-term memory. Because we all know this, right? From personal experience, there could be a song that could take you back to when you're a kid. There could be a food that takes you back to when you're a child. There could be a fragrance that could take you back to when you're a child. Because information is forgettable, but information combined with emotion becomes a long term memory. So all learning is state dependent. And so that's why I, I love play, because in that state of wonder, right? One of my favorite poets, uh, Rumi, has this quote that said sell your cleverness. For bewilderment. Sell your cleverness for bewilderment. I mean, when's the last time you felt bewildered about something or curious about something or fascinating, fascinated? It's just like children are so engaged with the process and they're not afraid to fail. Even children, as you watch them learning how to walk, you, they they don't ever see, you know, they don't try like three times and like, oh, I, I failed at this. I'm never going to try this again. Right. That would that would be ludicrous. But adults do this all the time. You know, kids, uh, adults would take a, a, a dance class or they'll take a voice class or they'll take a programming coding class. And they're not good at it at first. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, you know, they don't want to look bad. And they're always concerned about everyone else's opinions and their expectations. And here's the thing, if you you can go broke buying into the opinions and expectations of others. I um I was working years ago with uh, Jim Carrey. I help a lot of actors speed read scripts, have better focus on set, remember their lines in a fraction of a time. And I remember we were in his kitchen um we were, we were making guacamole and I was just like, "Jim, why do you do what you do? What drives you?" And he's like, "Jim, the reason why I played all these characters, and they're very extreme, and I act like a fool, is because I wanna give people permission to be themselves. And he's like, he really, his mission really is to free people from the concerns of others so they can really be themselves. And I feel like as adults, and I I don't mean, when growing older, I don't, I don't really mean chronological age. I mean the age of our minds, the age of our hearts, the age of our, our spirits, if you will. Like um, I know somebody who just turned 95 years old and he's like the youngest, oldest person and he still goes to work Monday through Friday and he tell, loves telling stories because that's his job. And he, he learns so quickly because it's a, it's a mindset, right? And, and uh, but I also know somebody who's nine years old and he's going on like, you know, 59. And he's so, and then this child's nine, but he's so old, right? So it's really a mindset. So I would say integrating play um, and experimentation in our in our learning um you know taking things because everybody has different learning styles we you know we talked about that it's not how smart somebody is but it's really how are they smart that if i asked everybody here to write their names on a piece of paper and you can do this with your children you write your first and last name and then i ask you to switch hands and with your opposite hand right below it your first and last name the second time you did it i would hallucinate it would it would take longer it would feel more uncomfortable, and the quality wouldn't be quite as good. And it's kind of like learning. Maybe you or your child are, you're really interested in a subject, and you go to a class on it even, but for some reason, even though you're interested in it, you're just not getting it, because it's the way the teacher prefers to teach is different the way that the child prefers to learn, and it's like two ships in the night, and you pass each other, In the dark and you don't even realize the other one is there and you don't even connect and so that's a that's a big challenge and so you know these learning styles are important and it goes way beyond just visual auditory and kinesthetic learning there's different ways we you know we process information and to be able to honor that it's like you're trying to learn it with the opposite hand so it takes longer it feels uncomfortable or weird and the quality is not quite as good and so I would say, you know, I remember going back to the initial conversation about questions being the answer, is asking questions like, how can I bring more joy into this? How can I make learning fun? Um, you might hear some children in the background right now, because I'm in a house full of kids right now with their friends. Um, but it's just like, even now, like they're, they're you're yelling and they're playing and they're everywhere, but that's how they engage, Right. And so I feel like the reason why we could have children or adults read two or three times faster with better comprehension, how they could retain the periodic table, you know, in minutes. I put a video on Instagram the other day, and I took all these six years olds and taught them how to memorize the first 20 elements on the periodic table and learn how to count to 10 in Japanese. Literally, I did all that in nine minutes. You know, and it's not that because I'm so great, it's just there's genius in all these children and it's really showing them how to be able to to, to access that and so creativity imagination strategy remembering that one of the keys to learning faster is all learning is state dependent and that if somebody learned something in traditional education you know if you were to remember what school was like for the most part knowing that emotion plays such an important role what's the primary emotion most people feel in traditional education And 90% of an audience will always say they were bored. You know, on a scale of zero to 10, boredom is like a zero. And anything, information times emotion becomes a long-term memory. But if the emotion level is zero, anything times zero is what? Zero. And you wonder why you forget these things. Besides the fact that a lot of children, when they're learning something, even as, as adults, if they don't see the relevance of sine, cosine, the tangent of X, they won't retain it because they don't understand, they don't have context. And if content is king, you know, which we often hear, right? We put on a lot a lot of content, then context really is is the kingdom. And it's so very important for people to have context when it comes to learning. And so th- those are a lot of the focal points, besides all the things that that you blog about and share in your shows um, about self-care because I also feel on the other side of it is people don't realize but one-third of your potential when it comes to your brain, your memory and so on, is predetermined by genetics and biology. That's what science is saying. Now, some people say you have 100% control, but that leaves two-thirds in your control, right? But some people say with epigenetics and everything, you actually have you know even more influence um, than science is saying, um, and some of the science is saying. But that means you have a lot more input in taking care of this hardware. You know, we're talking about things like a good brain diet, we're talking about things like getting rid of negative, you know, self-talk. Um, and we're talking about things like exercise, movement, because primarily we have a brain to control our, our movements. And as a child's body moves, their brain grooves. Literally, as people move, they create uh, brain-derived nootropic factors. It's like fertilizer for neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. These are, these are terms a lot of people have heard before, that neurogenesis means that you could create new brain cells to the day you die. And neuroplasticity is saying your brain is like plastic in a positive way, meaning it's very malleable. That um, Einstein's brain wasn't bigger than any of ours, it was actually smaller. Um, But he had certain parts of his brain um, when they analyzed it that were highly dense because there were so many connections because he would do these thought experiments and, and really, you know, when every single thought you have, changes your your neurology. Literally, when we're having this conversation, you and I and people are listening to it, you're getting smarter. And it's not just something ethereal, it's your your brain is actually changing. That right now, you have hundreds of millions of, of neurons, brain cells that are lit up right now. And they say that Oliver Wendell Holmes said that once, uh, once a person's mind is stretched by a new idea, it never regains its original dimensions. And people don't realize that your your thoughts are things that they're you know as as you've heard there's a biology to belief if you will that if people realized how how powerful their minds were they wouldn't say anything to themselves they didn't want it to be true and I can't overstate this enough when I'm talking about negative self talk I remember I was preparing to run a marathon and um, I was reading this book. With a name like Quick, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Um, I was reading this book on how to mentally train for a marathon and it said, in one of the chapters, it said this word for word verbatim, because um, I'm a memory expert. It said, um, your brain is like a supercomputer and your self-talk is a program that will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you programmed your supercomputer not to. And that's what I mean when people are saying, oh, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I have horrible focus, I have a you know, bad memory, or whatever it is, you have to change that. And there are a number of ways you could do that, right? Anything from self-hypnosis to tapping, you know, EFT, or even adding a simple word like yet at the end of the sentence. I don't have a great memory yet, or I'm not a great student yet. Little things like that open up the possibility of, of something greater. Because the other thing I would say when it comes to your negative self-talk is your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. Your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. So you have your good brain diet, right, with your avocados and your blueberries, I call them brain berries, and and all those, you know, the the wild salmon if that's allowed in your diet, and the turmeric and all these great things. You have your, you know, get rid of negative thoughts, you have your movement, but other things are important too. Brain nutrients right? There's certain brain supplements. If you're not getting it, if you do a full spectrum, you know, blood analysis on, on food allergies and, and, and nutri, nutrient profiles, some people are just lacking. If you lack in vitamin B, if you lack in like DHA, which is such, such an important nutrient, your brain's not going to operate at optimal function, no matter what strategy you're using. I would say another thing is um, positive peer group. You know, who your kids or you spend time with are, are really who you become. You know, they say if you spent nine broke people, you're going to be the tenth. And there's actually a science to this, even when you know with the kids, the, your the your your children, their friends that they hang out with, because all of us, no matter what our ages, the reason why is because we have these things called mirror neurons, and mirror neurons is what allows you to feel empathy. When you watch a uh, sporting, uh, a game, sports, and you could feel what the players are feeling, kind of move, or you're watching a scary movie, and you could feel, um, you get that empathy. Those are mirror neurons. And so mirror neurons really start the reason why you have to be careful who you spend time with your positive peer group is because if you start adopting their beliefs, you start adopting their habits, you start adopting their behaviors. You know, we did an interview with Dr. Mark Hyman on our podcast, and we're talking about how it's not just your, your biological networks or your neurological networks, just as important, if not more important, are your social networks, that whether or not your child ends up smoking has less to do with their biology has more to do whether or not their friends friends smoke Because that has a greater influence and so who you spend time with is who you become Another thing when it comes to your kids when it comes to the self-care These are the ten things that I talk about and about when it comes to unlocking what I call your quick brain the number six I would say are um, a clean environment you know, when you're telling your kids to clean their room and be organized, your external world is a reflection of your internal world, and you know this because when you clean your desktop, on your laptop, your office, don't you have clarity of thought? Um, number seven, I would say, in terms of optimizing your child's brain performance um, and your own, um, is sleep, and this is a huge epidemic for all ages. And you know, like when you get a bad sleep, how does your brain perform the next day? I mean, how? How do you make decisions? How's the quality of your thinking? How are you able to solve problems? How's your focus the next day? How's your recall the next day? And so many children are pulling all-nighters in school, and you think that's helping them, but it, does, it doesn't. it does You need to sleep um, because of three things. I, I would write, say three things cognitively that most people don't think of. Number one, when you sleep or your child sleeps, that's where they consolidate short to long-term memory and that's why it's important to sleep is because that's actually where a lot of learning takes place. Number two, so those all-nighters definitely do not help. Number two, it's um, where you clean out plaque that co- that in your brain when you sleep, that's when your, your sewage system really is operating and that can lead to uh, dementia and other brain-aging challenges. And then the third reason why you wanna sleep, and this is something, I mean, there are many more reasons than this, but I would put in there is when you dream, Right? If you're not getting a REM sleep, you're not gonna dream and you're thinking why is what is dreaming have to do with performance? And people don't realize this, but when you're learning or your children are learning all day, your brain does not shut off at night. If anything, it's more active. It's more active at night and in the form of dreams. And when you're dreaming, I mean, have you ever studied something or you know, with your business or anything otherwise and you start dreaming and start thinking about it? And so many people don't realize this, so many things um, in our reality, in our world, in culture, in in film, and culture and literature and film and music came from dream states. So for example, Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein in her dream. Um, Paul McCartney came up with a song yesterday in his dream. Inventions like the sewing machine came to Elias Howe in his dream. The periodic table came to a chemist in his dream. So what are we dreaming about? What are our children dreaming about, you know, late at night? Um, But that requires, you know, you, you get to sleep. And so we did a whole, but the other thing is that you remember your dreams, you know, in the morning, a lot of times you wake up, you remember your dreams, but then you forget it shortly afterwards. So one of our most popular podcast episodes we did was like how to remember your dreams, um, which is the first thing I do every morning. Everybody has their morning routine and I, I have um mine, you know, 10 things I do and what makes mine a little bit different than and other people's like Tim Ferriss or Oprah's or Tony Robbins or whatever. each of mine is all about activating your brain, jumpstarting your brain the first hour a day so you can win the rest of the day. But remember your dreams are the first thing I do. Um, so that requires sleep. Eight, I would say, is brain protection, meaning that with your kids, you have to protect their brain. I had, and this is, you know, where for me, I had I had a number of traumatic brain injuries. And so your brain is very resilient, but it's also very fragile. And so I've had my brain scanned a number of times, uh, you know, by Dr. Daniel Amen, who wrote Change Your Brain uh, and Change Your Life. He raised over $40 million on PBS. He has clinics across uh, America. But, I mean, your brain really, you know, with concussions and, and damages like that can lead to some learning challenges, which I had to protect your brain. I don't just mean from physical trauma either. I mean from uh, EMFs, Um, you know, uh, it's electronic um, electromagnetic um, fields because i didn't realize like i I was doing a podcast episode and doing research like the, over 90 percent of of kids sleep with their phones underneath their pillows not on. not even that we're not even talking about on airplane mode so we don't know that having that device so close to the human brain it didn't the human brain wasn't created didn't have this you know, throughout all of you know human history. It's only just obviously recently. So we don't know the effect that has on on our brains. And then that's number eight is brain protection. And number nine and ten, really simply is nine is new learnings. That if you want your children to to be at their best, at a peak, it's not just about mental intelligence, it's about mental fitness. And one of the ways to keep your brain fit, to create neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, two things: novelty and nutrition science says that if you want to create new brain cells or new connections between brain cells it's just like building physical muscles if you want to build your physical muscles you have to give it novelty like a workout and then you have to feed it with nutrition same thing with your mental muscles and so you need to give it novelty new in the form of new learnings um, and stimulus and then you have to give it the nutrition through your diet and supplementation um and then and then also there's a study on I don't know if you saw it, it was a longevity study done on these on these group of nuns. They wanted to find out, I call them super nuns, it was on the cover of Time Magazine. They wanted to find out how this group of women were living well into their 80s, 90s and above, and they weren't just living longer, they were living well. And they found out half of it had to do with their gratitude and emotional faith, but the other half of it had to do with they were lifelong learners. And because they were lifelong learners, it added years to their life, but not only years to their life, but also life to the years. And then finally, the 10th thing I would recommend for parents with their children, and for anybody listening to this at any age, is stress management. And this is always the invisible thing because people don't realize how much stress you're under, chronic stress, and the damages it has on your nervous system, and particularly your brain. Meaning chronic stress actually reduces your brain size. And when you're constantly creating cortisol and adrenaline, it's fight or flight. Which could equate to, you know, physical activity, but if that doesn't help stress does not help um if you need to study for a test, if you need uh to prepare to take a test, if you need to give a speech in front of your classmates or at work or something like that. And so I would say monitor your stress. And when I say that, I, I would say that we don't always we aren't aware of how much stress we're under on a day-to-day basis—physical stress, emotional stress, financial stress, relationship stress, and you know, environmental stresses and the like. Because it's like fish in in water; fish don't see the water because it's there all the time. And a lot of people don't realize how much stress they're under until they're getting a massage or they're on a beach somewhere on vacation. They don't realize what normal really is. And it's so important to disconnect, to reconnect to to ourself because self love and self care is not selfish, and I think we need to prioritize this on a regular basis, which is why i'm I'm such a, a fan admirer of your work because you're teaching people how to be their best self and and you know with with wellness approach and these are all things that I really wish that all the things that you wrote about and and you reported on was taught in school much like I feel like you know, the, the content that I teach in terms of learning is available because how much easier and more fulfilling can people's lives be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I still, I go back to that quote that you mentioned about if we realized how powerful our brains were, we would never want to tell them anything that wasn't true. And I think of also as parents, how much power we have and how much we need to be aware of that power in the words that we say to our children and listening to everything you just said, I think Kids are so naturally born with imagination and creativity, and a two year old's brain is this wonderful mixture of the two of those things. And I feel like we, as parents and as educators, we have to kind of adapt to this new world of technology because, in a sense, um, I, I look back to high school and like I would get fed up with calculus and classes that I just, like you mentioned, I was bored by them. And I was like, when am I ever going to need to know this? And the teacher would say things like, well, you're not always going to have a calculator. You're not always going to have whatever tool. Um, And now I look and I'm like, well, actually we do. We have our phones and we have the entirety of knowledge available at our fingertips through technology. And so, like you said, I think that being able to adapt and learn quickly and think critically Those are the skills that computers can't do and that are so important. And I don't even think we have to teach them. Like you said, I don't think we have to teach kids this. I think we just have to preserve that innate, amazing um, creativity that they have already. And so as a somewhat selfish question, I'd love to know if you were going to design a school or a learning environment, not even to call it a school um what it might look like and how it might be structured because I'm this is something as a homeschooling mom I obviously have to do on a daily basis and we try to for instance keep like a very socratic method and be very question based and hands on and our whole classroom is movement based so we have balance boards and trampolines and swings and things but I'd love any tips that you can throw my way or any other homeschooling parents way when it comes to that
0: Okay so I would I wish I was homeschooled by you that that just that no, seems like such an incredible advantage because you're it's the reason why you can get these kind of results is it's not even you know when we work with our students is because it's not even just about whole brain learning it's about whole self learning right where it's not just left brain right brain but it's all their intelligences and it's their triune brain their three different brains where you're appealing to the reptilian brain and these different parts their amygdala and all these things we're talking about their conscious and their and their they're non-conscious, they're unconscious. We're talking about their diet and their sleep and their stress management and their you know, their peer group and nutrition and all these different things. And so all of these play a role. And a lot of people, they just want the magic bullet, right? And you want this for their health all the time. They want the silver bullet, the magic bullet. That was the one thing I could do, the one thing that just makes everything better. And unfortunately, the one thing is like all these things. And what I would say is, but there are certain things that move the needle, and that's what I like to focus on. I um, I just did a, a podcast about the difference between working smart and working hard, and everyone talks about it, but what is it functionally? And I open up with a story because I happened to be in this power plant in Estonia, and I was doing this talk to a bunch of teachers in from Finland and across Europe, and uh, when I was there, I recorded this podcast episode, and I was walking through this power plant, and the story opens like this that there's a power plant and we're very very active and one day it just shuts down out of nowhere it just shuts down dead silence and you know the employees are freaking out the operations manager doesn't know what to do they try to fix it for a few hours and no resolve so finally operations manager picks up the phone tracks down a local technician the engineer comes down and He says, you got to help me. You know, we're losing all this business. This is very dangerous and and so on. Uh, please help me. And the technician walks around the floor of the power plant and you see all these beams everywhere. And he goes to one specific beam and there it's, you know, has a number of electrical boxes on it. He goes to one specific box and he puts an X on it and he opens up the box and inside are, are what you expect. All these bolts and wires and screws. He goes to one screw. And he turns it clockwise, just about a quarter of an inch. And all of a sudden, bam, the entire power plant turns back on. And the operations manager is floored. He's like, thank you so much. You saved a day. He was like, thank you. He's like, how much do I owe you? And the the technician looks at him and he says, that would be $10,000. And then just enthusiastically, the operations manager was like, what, are you crazy? You were here for all of five minutes, 10 minutes. You know, all you did was turn a screw. Anyone could have done that. He's like, give me an itemized bill. And the technician reaches into his back pocket, takes out a piece of paper, a notepad, and writes something down quick. He hands it to the operations manager. The operations manager looks at it and says, I understand, and then immediately takes out a check and writes a check for $10,000 and gives it to the technician. When you look at that piece of paper for the itemized bill, it says something very simple. It says turning screw $1, knowing what screw to turn Mm $9,999. And um, the lesson here is not that, you know, we have a screw loose, right? The lesson here are two things that in today's economy, knowledge is not only power, it's profit right the reason why we want to teach children to learn faster is because the faster you can learn the faster you could earn and i don't just mean financially that that's obvious right but i mean all the treasures of your life even this young woman who helped save her mom's life by reading 30 books in 30 days you know it it helped boost the treasure of health and wellness right and so in a book that's why i love reading and teaching kids how to read and making reading a a habit every single day because leaders are readers it's it's the best exercise i find for the brain whether it's children development or even for for adults especially if you can learn how to how to read how to read faster but the other lesson besides knowledge is power and profit is that there are certain um what they call force multipliers in the military, not that I subscribe to this, but it's just specifically to, to violence development, but it's more that certain input, you can get much more output. and so these focal points, if you will, are like that X on the box or the screw. And in what, what in your children's life or in your own life, what are the key ingredients that's going to give the positive change that's going to turn everything else on? You know some people would refer to it as the, the, the first domino like the first domino that you hit and then all these other dominoes get hit because of it and so I like to focus on those 10 areas of self-care those are very specific leverage points that give you uh, what you know more more return more output for this for for similar uh, input if you will but outside of that in terms of what education could look like besides whole self you know like wellness because I think you know, people could learn how to read faster or remember names or learn languages fast like we teach, but it, they also have to treat the hardware. So that's what a lot of those 10 things do. It affects the, you know, I teach people the software, the strategies, but the hardware is is your brain. So that's why sleep and good diet and, and stress management, all of that affects the, the hardware. Um, outside of that, we know that classrooms today aren't, aren't limited by four walls. Right. right now, you can learn anything on, on podcasts, on YouTube, and everything. And kid, kids are growing up you know, one swipe away. They're growing up on, on joysticks. And what's sometimes difficult is when we, we sit them down um, and just lecture to them. And here's the thing with the human brain. The human brain doesn't learn by consuming information. It doesn't learn through consumption. It learns through creation, especially co-creation. It's not this model of being lectured to and sitting quietly by yourself, this assembly line education, you know, one size fits all, because that geared us, because if you're stressed right now, the reason why adults are stressed is because we all grew up with a 20th century education. And the 20th century education at the turn of the century prepared us for a 20th century world, which was on the turn of the century, it was working in factories and farms. We had to be able to follow simple orders, right? We didn't need to be able to think for ourselves and do all these different things. So what I'm thinking is, you know, education right now, we have access to the greatest minds on the planet, right? We have more access through the internet, whether it's on our phone or laptop or whatever, smart devices, than the leaders of this world had 20 years ago, you know, with all the access that that we have. And so we have great access. And so I'm thinking exactly what, what you're saying is that you know, uh, we become facilitators. We become coaches. Uh, We, we be able to, to take a, uh, reinforce experiments. We're exposing children to diverse experiences. When a child exhibits um, strong interest in something, they develop certain talents. We provide them opportunities to be able to, to develop them. We, we support their, their brain health. We support their intellectual needs. We, we support their emotional needs, which is really important because, you know children right now with with social media and again i don't say technology is bad i just feel like it's a tool that um you know i love it that it could, we can learn all these different things that we could stay in touch with our friends and our family but you know when you hear about facebook depression and, and distraction all these things where people feel like they're less than because they're comparing their life to their friend's life and you know everyone post everyone's posting pretty pictures of there's this beautiful life and people feel like, you know, fear of missing out. They feel like they're not enough. And I really feel that's our biggest fear, whether it's a child or as an adult, is that we're not enough. Because if we're not enough, we're not going to be loved and we're not going to be taken care of and we won't survive. Um, I think preserving um, and in fostering that growth mindset by uh, not praising so much ability and a talent, but praising effort is so important in this process, I think um getting them to study and really read and research um, where you know you give access to to, to books um, is a, is a big predictor to success because it stimulates the minds help makes new connections. I think being wary of when we're talking to kids about giving them labels like um, because identities are, are like genius or whatever could or gifted or whatever could lead to, um, an emotional strain. Um, in, in some cases, I think it's important also just to have your kids, um, not, not tested, but more more like as in like, um, IQ, but having having them assessed to find out where their natural talents lie. Um, also just to test for things, you know, whether it's, um, ADD or dyslexia and stuff like that. I would also say that if people are having a sticking point in terms of managing their behavior, children, right, a lot of people try, even with themselves, to try to struggle using willpower um, or motivation to get a child to read every day or to study every day, um, or even with yourself as you're listening to this, oh, I want to change a behavior, I want to stop smoking, or I want to stop procrastinating, whatever that is, that you don't just treat the behavior That there, there's a, there's a much more enriched, um, view, if you will, if you pull back a little bit from just behavior, that if you're, We've all suffered and struggled through from self-sabotage, right? I think everyone can identify with procrastinating, putting things off. Why, why do we do that? Why do, why do our kids do that, right? And I would say that if you imagine behavior as being one line of, uh, one level of transformation, if you will, a lot of people try to just motivate themselves or use willpower to change that behavior, but that rarely works. What I would say is look right above that level of behavior into this level of, of capability. Capability meaning um, your training. So, for example, let's say you want to train a child to behave. They want them to, to read every day or to study every day. But the capability, they're not doing it. Maybe they weren't taught the capability of how to study. Or how to read faster or how to you know well we just did a whole program on how to teach kids how to study uh, we did a podcast episode they, and they put it on the front page of the la times for for high school students and such um because it was such an important topic and it was just like you know they, they weren't capabilities so some people don't study for example the behavior kids don't study but it's you can't force them to study maybe if they had greater capability they were trained how to study in psychology they have something called the competence confidence loop Meaning that a lot of people, when you, when you get more competent at something, let's say it's studying or reading or playing golf or whatever it is, you become more confident at that. And because you're more confident at playing golf, for example, you're going to pr- do it more often, which is going to increase your competence or your ability. And, be- and it becomes a positive cycle of momentum, right? So it's a competence confidence loop. So you train capability. But if the child's still not doing the behavior, then you look above capability and look at this thing called beliefs and values. These thing called beliefs and values, meaning that maybe the behavior looking to teach is teach somebody. I do this in businesses all the time, how to remember names, but maybe they had don't have the capability. They weren't taught how to remember someone's name, or if even if they're taught the level above that, beliefs and values. Maybe they believe they have a horrible memory, and all behavior is belief driven. Right. So you have to analyze those beliefs or maybe it's not their belief. Maybe it's their values. Maybe it's their values, meaning that maybe they don't value remembering somebody's name. It's not important to them. So is that to affect their behavior. It could explain their behavior or lack thereof. But let's say they have that in line. Look at the highest level above beliefs and values for your children or yourself. And that's the level of identity, identity. And what's an identity An identity? simplest way I can think of of putting it is you've all heard you've heard that the two most powerful words in the English language are also the the shortest I am because whatever you put after that becomes your life right it becomes your your destiny if you will and so let's say the behavior is you want your child to stop procrastinating or you want to stop procrastinating right but your identity is I am a procrastinator you wonder why it'd be difficult to be able to get the person to, stop. or let's say the, the, the behavior is I want to stop smoking, but their identity is I am a smoker. What I'm articulating here is for people to be sensitive. So to make us a better teacher, to make us a better parent or human being, a manager of our teams for, for work or what have you or coworkers is you don't take things personally because once you want to have these distinctions, you can see where people are stuck because it's not it's it's very rarely the level of behavior when you can't get somebody to do what they need to do or you can't get yourself to do what you need to do look at the other levels and that's that's a more of a whole self approach towards transformation i would add there one more level i would look right below behavior right below behavior is this level called environment mm-hmm environment and again we're talking about the, the these five levels of, of transformation if you will that environmental level let's say the behavior you want your child to to read every single day um, but the environment is it's dark or the environment is they don't have their their they didn't bring their book home from school or whatever that could affect the behavior right because environment plays a big role in terms of our our, our habits um, and so We know, for example, first you create your habits and then your habits create you. So one of the things I'd be doing with children is encourage them their habits of thought, the questions that they're always asking themselves, questions like, how can I use this? How does this relate to what I already know? Um, how, How does how does this, how does, how can I teach this to somebody else? Right. And so you ingrain these habits and also habits of feeling, right. Habits of play, habits of fascination, habits of, of confidence, if you will, showing them how to use their physiology, you know, that, that when that physiology affects your psychology and changing your posture and your breathing affects your, your level of attention, you know, for, for example. But once you know these different levels, we know, we opened this conversation with saying that, yeah, you know, yes, it's important to have perspective, and one of the things that changes our perspective is changing the questions that we use. We know questions are the answer. That if a child reads a page in a book, or you read a page in a book, get to the end and forget what you just read, you know, you wonder where it is, and you just reread it, and you still know what you just read. Most people aren't asking questions about it. Even when it take, comes to a test, right, like standardized test, you'll have pages and pages of reading comprehension, and then you'll have ten questions at the end. And when kids get to that, those questions, most of them like, no, oh, I didn't know that's what they were looking for. Why not look at the questions first? And then when you're reading something, you're like, oh, there's an answer. There's an answer. There's an answer. Because you're activating that part of your brain. They call it the reticular activating system, RAS, because your brain at any given time could focus on one, two billion different stimulus. But it doesn't because it would you would go crazy, right? Primarily, your brain is a deletion device. It tries to keep all that out, and you can only focus on a certain amount, a finite amount of information. So what determines what you focus on? One of the things are your questions. So questions really are the answer. And going back to school, there was six primary questions, right? Five W's and the H, right? And so going look at this, these logical levels of transformation, if you will, these levels of transformation, the, the identity level, the top level, answers the question of who, right? The beliefs and values answers the question of why. The capability level answers the question of how. How do you remember names? How do you study a textbook? How do you learn a language, right? All the stuff that we do shows on. The fourth level, behavior, answers the question of what. That's the behavior you're trying to change with your kids or for yourself, or your spouse, or your team, whatever. And then the final level is the, envir- is the level of environment. And that answers the question of when and where, right? Because it's not just where is very important. Because context, we talked about context is the kingdom. That when you forget someone's name, one of the first questions you ask yourself is, "Where do I know this person from?" Right? The where is very important. The where of optimizing. We do we do we have a whole program online for students, like a thirty day program uh, that the you know study skills, speed reading, memory, and part of it is designing your perfect learning environment from the temperature. Lighting to the the best seating to best you know environment and how to hold the book and everything else like that for optimizing your eye you know um to be able to process more information and so on with your peripheral vision but it's also the power of when like we did a whole show on it's not just how to do things or what to do it or even starting with why it's also the when you do something you know, based on your chronotype, which is the four different body types determine like when you actually check your email, when's the best time to study based on your body type, when's the best time to go to sleep. And, you know, according to your body type, even you know, as adults, when's the best time to ask for a raise or or whatever, there's certain times based on your hormones, when you're going to get the, the best results. So there's it's so much more when we're thinking about education and learning and, and personal growth, you know, there's, it's this full, full spectrum here. And ultimately the reason why focus, even I went through these five levels is because ultimately you want to change of behavior because nothing changes unless a behavior changes, right? Because the formula I follow is be, do, have, share, right? Be, do, have in that syntax, in that order, And it has to happen in that order in terms of who you're going to be, identity and your beliefs, and then doing in terms of your capabilities and uh, and your your behaviors. Then you get to have, right? A lot of people, and we know this, right? Somebody wins a lottery, they jump right to the have part. They have millions of dollars. But what happens? We know that historically, uh, all the data shows that somebody wins a lottery, has millions of dollars. After a certain amount of time, they not only lose all that money, but they actually go below. Um, what they had to begin with, because they got to the have stage and they were they were given uh, millions of dollars, but they were never at the B stage, right They were never being a millionaire. and so all behavior is belief driven and then there's interventions at all these different levels, you know many that you' you're aware of, Katie, that could help people to change their identity, to help them change their their state, to help them change their habits, right to help them change their negative self-talk, to help them to be able to to train them in the in the capabilities but if people don't have the distinctions then nothing changes unless you take this unconscious and you make it conscious right otherwise people just treat everything in life as like fate and they don't have any control over it because they haven't had these distinctions and these are the kind of things i feel like educators and parents and also students really deserve to know because otherwise really, it's the difference between being a thermometer and a thermostat. This, you know, part of learning with children is we use metaphors, right? Parables. Um, it's, it's one of the things that if a child is struggling with something, I ask them a the question, like, how do you compare this to an apple? Right? Because you have to, all learning is taking something you don't know and comparing it and linking it to something you already know. Cause so many times people, you know, where people lose children when they're teaching is they try to connect to unknowns and they're not connecting it to something they already know and it stays outside of themselves but learning is taking something unknown and connecting it to something that is known on the inside and metaphors allow you to do that so i use this metaphor very simply of a thermometer versus a thermostat that you want it you want your kids and you yourself want to identify more as a thermostat not a thermometer Because what's a thermometer do? The primary function of thermometer is it reacts to the environment, literally immediately just reacts to the environment, whatever the environment is giving it. And human beings and children, adults, we are occasionally thermometers. We react to our environment. We react to the weather. We react to the economy. We react to politics. We react to how a client or customer treats us, right? But in actuality, right, a lot of people have those same kind of external stimuli but they don't respond the same way because they're more of a thermostat meaning a thermostat doesn't react to the environment it gauges what's going on in the environment but it sets a temperature another word for temperature it could be a goal it could be a vision it could be an intention and what happens to the environment it it rises and raises to that new that new vision if you will taking talking about the power of imagination creativity strategy the stuff we talked about earlier and so we know that a thermostat is more proactive.
1: I 100% agree with that. And that's something I talk about often with my children. And I think it's something that I know I at least had to somewhat learn as an adult. And I think that's an important, super important lesson to know from an early age. This episode is brought to you by Genexa. These are cleaner, healthier medicines and homeopathics all organic and non-GMO, extensively tested, and with a special patented system that lets them take out the harmful additives. One of my favorites is their saline spray and drops. These are free of parabens and fillers that are in many saline sprays. It's great for flushing away congestion and nasal symptoms from allergies and colds, and there's an infant and kid-safe version. I always travel with this and use it before and after getting on an airplane to help reduce the chances of getting sick by flushing out my nasal passages. You can shop this and their entire line of organic and non-GMO medicines by going to Genexa.com forward slash wellnessmama. And if you use the code wellness, you can save 20% off of your order. Again, that's G-E-N-E-X-A.com forward slash wellnessmama. And make sure to use the code wellness, all capital. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have known and loved since their very beginning. Thrive was founded with the mission of making real food available and affordable to everyone in the U.S. and ending food deserts, or areas like the one I used to live in, where organic food was difficult or impossible to find locally at times. Here's a tip. Check out the Thrive Market line of products. They have really high quality products at a lower price than most other brands. For instance, I order their canned sardines by The Case as they are the cheapest and best option I've found. They're a great protein source and I use these in things like sardine and tuna salad or I just eat them alone with some mustard. I also turn to their products for bulk items like gluten-free flours, baking ingredients, nuts, raisins, and pretty much all of my other pantry staples. Just for being a Wellness Mama podcast listener, you can get 25% off your first purchase at Thrive plus a 30-day free membership by going to thrivemarket.com Forward slash Katie. That's t h r i v e m a r k e t. dot com forward slash k a t i e. And I literally could talk to you for hours. In fact, I haven't done that in real life before. Um but I have I want to make sure I ask the last few parting questions I'd love to ask, and the first is this may be a hard question for you, but are there is there a book or a couple of books that have really impacted your life that you would recommend? I know we've mentioned already several in this podcast, but are, are there any that really stand out
0: <laughs> man um one book for me is like asking like what's like the biggest most important book. It's like asking what's the most important meal or food I've ever had that's had the greatest impact on my life i I feel my body and just my my brain daily. Um, I mean, everyone can see my book list if they Google my name, um, and just recommended books. But I I would say one, it's interesting. Remember I told the story about this young lady who read 30 books in 30 days. Um, she sent me one of those books in it. Um, well, first of all, she was the book she was reading at the time, the last book, when she told me the story was, um, uh, she, as a bookmark, she was using, remember her motivation was her mom was her mom in the, Oh, I get emotional thinking about this. The photograph she was using in the bookmark was her mom in the hospital, and it reminded me of being in the hospital. And you know, with her coming through it, I kind of went full circle with my own life because that was me in that hospital bed. Um, but she sent me this book, and it was about quantum physics applied towards health. And I had never heard of anything like this. It was 25 years ago or something. And, um, and eventually I got around to reading it, and it blew my mind. I like I never I didn't even know what quantum physics was and I didn't really take ownership of my health at that time. But after hearing this her mother's story, I, I realized that we have much more influence on our wellness than we were what I, I thought what I was taught. And um, so I reread I read the book and I was blown away and I keep eternal. Right, I, And I, I, every day, I think that's important. Um, I would recommend everyone to do that. I would recommend you teach your children to do that, and so on, because they do all these. I'm wondering if geniuses, all these geniuses out there, they kept journals. And it's curious, like, do they keep journals because they're geniuses, or is it because they're journaling all the time that they become geniuses, right? You think about Da Vinci's journal and Einstein's journal, I mean, they're priceless, right? Um, anyway, I wrote in my journal saying, I want to meet this author. I'm not, I'm not ready right now. I'm not smart enough because I want to have a good conversation with him, but give me two years. And I wrote this in my journal. Two years later, I am in Boston and I'm giving a talk. And uh, I get out of the, the lecture center. I turn the hallway and I, I swear to you, Katie, there's the author. Two years to the date. And this is a book on, on quantum physics, right? And so just that just blew my mind. And we have this, it's Deepak Chopra, right? Uh, this was 25 years ago. And and I tell him this story. I was like, oh, you don't know that I read, I read this book two years ago. I wrote it in my journal, and I said two years, and two years later, this is you, and I was just blown away. And we sit down and have this uh, incredible conversation over lunch about ayurvedic body types and how they correlate to learning styles. And I remember he said this phrase to me, he's like, Jim, the average person has, I was talking about quick thinking, which is um, like something I'm really big on, teaching people how to make decisions and solve problems and everything, because so we're not taught how to make good decisions, yet our life is a reflection of all our decisions. He's like, Jim, the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. And I'm thinking, wow, you're, that's a lot of thoughts. He was like, yeah, but the problem is 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts they had yesterday. And the day before that and the day before that and we know the power of thoughts or things and that's why people aren't changing because you know they have they have the same habit of thought going back to those logical levels of transformation um but the book was um was what that was the book It uh, it was quantum healing and it was just one of many of those books if you will but it kind of got me really open to the idea that thoughts are things um, but since then, I mean for four and a half years I've been reading a book a day, you know, at least recently you know, at least five to six books a week. So I, I love books. I've never read a book that I just I didn't get some value out of, just like people. I've never met a person in my life I haven't learned something from.
1: Absolutely. I think you're right. The lessons in life are everywhere and Last question, and then I want to make sure people can find you online, but is there any parting advice or just a single piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with? You've already shared so much and given so much wisdom, but any last parting advice?
0: I would say this, that um, I have a quote that I get tagged in every single day, um, dozens of times, and it basically says this. It compares your life to an egg, that if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, life begins. All, all great things begin on the inside, right? And I believe that you have genius inside of you, you have greatness inside of you, your kids have greatness inside of them, they have genius inside of them, and that my advice is to remember and to teach them that genius is learned, that genius is learned through, through it's trained, right? And it's really our work as, whether it's as parents or as teachers, it's about transcending. It's about ending the trance, transcend, end the trance, ending this mass hypnosis, you know, propagated by media or from marketing that we're not enough, that somehow we're broken. Like, you know, I was the boy with the broken brain and teaching people the truth that that genius is learned that through discipline, study, through consistency, through persist if you're persistent you know you can you can get it and if you're consistent that you could keep it and it's available to everyone regardless of their age their background their career their education their financial situation their gender their personal history their iq none of that matters it's it's available to all of us and so having that 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 mindset That we are responsible, that greatness comes from within and it's available to all of us. That's, that's, that's the advice is is to encourage that. I, I believe that really my mission, you know, is yes, we teach people tools and resources and techniques, but also there's an attitude here, you know, that we stand for. We stand for all of us collectively who's listening to this. We stand for, you know, our potential, that it's not fixed, like our shoe size, that it could grow with intention and through effort. And everything is available to us. And the goal to do it is to be able to do it together through through community, exactly what, what you've created and dedicated your life to.
1: I love it. And Jim, where can people find you? I know that you have inspired a lot of people in this episode, and they want to stay in touch with you and keep learning from you. And of course, the, the links will be in the show notes as well. But where can people find you online?
0: I would just say two places. Um, people listen to our podcast. Um, when people listen to it, they're short. Every episode is only 10 or 15 minutes long. Um, we don't even have sponsors in it. People can listen to it. They're brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. So there's episodes on how to study. There's an episode on how to listen better, how to learn a language, how to change your habits, how to break old habits. There's an episode on my top 10 favorite brain foods. There's an episode actually where I teach the 10 keys that I taught here, but I show you how to memorize it and give a speech without notes. Um, there are episodes on how to remember names and how to read faster and have better focus. And it's all available. Really, I designed it to be an online portable academy. You start with episode one, download all the episodes, and it's like a mobile mind. So you have it on on. And it doesn't take up a lot of room on your phone because it's so short. Um, people could just go to quickbrain.com and access any of that. K W I K brain, that's really my last name.com, and also get some free training on how to teach you how to memorize the periodic table and some really fun stuff and on video form so that we make that available for people. Um, and then the last thing, the second thing I would say is on social media, um, like you. You know, we're very active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so, what I would suggest everybody does that will accelerate your learning is take a screenshot of this episode, if you will, post it, uh, tag Katie and tag myself so we see it. And I would say that if you, my last tip for everybody is if you want to learn something faster, learn it with the intention of teaching somebody else because I want everyone, if, if they're willing to do this, I challenge you to re-listen to this episode because I know it was dense. Take notes, and if you don't know how to take notes, we did a whole episode in our podcast on how to take notes effectively, because 98% of the population don't because they're not taught how. Re-listen to it, take notes, and share your biggest aha. Learn with the intention of teaching a friend of yours or your children uh, or your family or somebody at work, because when you, you learn with the intention of teaching, your focus is better. You'll take better notes, you'll ask better questions. And take a screenshot of this episode, tag us both and share with us in your description, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, your biggest aha, your biggest takeaway, because that's you stepping into the role of being a, a teacher again and owning the information. Because I think the best teachers are the best students and post your biggest aha or takeaways from this episode. And then maybe your question, because I'll, I'll definitely see it and do the best I can to, to answer your, your burning question you have about it. So I'm just at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'd love to, to connect with you.
1: Wonderful. You're so generous to offer that. And of course, those links will be in the show notes as well. Um, Jim, I, like I said, I could talk to you all day. And I think we're going to have to do a round two, maybe one day with, once we get questions in. Uh, but I so much appreciate you being here. I know that time is one of our most valuable resources and assets. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today.
0: Katie, thank you so much. I appreciate the cape that you wear. And if, if you're li- still listening to this right now, um, like Katie mentioned, your time is your most and your attention is your most valuable asset and it's the one thing you can't get back. And so I thank you for your time, respect you so much for, for investing in your growth and your family's growth. And I wish your days be full, lots of life, lots of love, lots of laughter, and always lots of learning.
1: Thanks, Jim. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope to see you again next time on the Wellness Mama podcast.